And uh, let's pray. Let's take a moment again. Father, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable to us. In this section where Paul is greeting his friends, there, there, there are lessons, there are examples, there are even warnings to be taken. May I pro- we open our hearts to understand something about these people. They were not plaster saints, they're not cardboard cutouts, they were real people just like us. So help us, Holy Spirit, now we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul is in prison, praying, discussing with his visitors and even his guards. That's why there's another copy here. Uh, and dictating letters. He's there for the name of Jesus, the gospel, the mission of God. Let me give you a definition of the mission of God. I, of course, learned and borrowed from others in doing this, but this is how I see it. The mission of God is to bring out of all nations a people who will, through trusting in his son Jesus, come to share in his love joy and peace forever. God is on that mission. By joy, I mean the enjoyment of his love and goodness. And by peace, I mean rest and contentment in his love and goodness. Peace is not just being still and emptying your head. It's enjoying contentment in God, rest in God. We've got a Westminster Catechism written in 1647 by Puritans who were the majority party in the Church of England at that time. This is how it starts. The first question in this catechism, which they they, they gave to new Christians and young people and so on, to teach them what Christianity was. The first question is, what is the chief and highest end of man? What is the goal of mankind? Every person. What's the biggest thing for us? Man's chief and highest end is to glorify God and fully to enjoy him forever. That's the mission of God, to bring us to enjoy him forever. The gospel of Jesus is the declaration of God's mission, the good news of his son. Jesus given to us, given up for us on the cross, given as the life-giving saviour, given as king over us to the end of the age. Paul spent the second half of his life, around 30 years, from his dramatic encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus until his death in Rome, serving the Lord Jesus and this mission of God. It's all he thought about, just about. Over those years, he had many friends and co-workers, fellow servants, fellow soldiers, beloved brothers and sisters. He delighted in many, but was disappointed with some. Here at the close of this Colossian letter, he lists some who were with him at the time. Others he mentions who are going to receive the letter and have their names mentioned when the letter arrives at Colossae. So let's look at some of Paul's friends. First of all, Tychicus. It's not pronounced Tychicus, it's Tychicus. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He's a beloved minister. He's a beloved brother, sorry, a faithful minister and a fellow servant in the Lord. I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know about us and that he may encourage your hearts. Three letters, this one, Colossians, Philemon, and the one we call Ephesians, were sent by Paul in the care of Tychicus and Onesimus. His name doesn't, has nothing to do with being titchy or small. In fact, in Greek, it means fortuitous or lucky. He was named Lucky by his father. Two words, three words there are used of Tychicus. Further, it's his brother. He's a dear brother. 
Then he's a minister, which, which is a diaconus, which means a servant. There's no capital there in minister. He was a servant. He served the Lord Jesus. He served Paul. He served the mission. And then the third word there is servant, which is really doulos, slave. He was a fellow slave of Jesus with Paul. And uh, Tychicus is mentioned a few times across the letters. And Paul's always sending him here and sending him there. He's a faithful messenger, delegate of Paul. Then there's Onesimus, who is an escaped slave. Paul writes about him. With Tychicus, I'm sending Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who's one of you. He's from Colossae. They will tell you everything about uh, us here. Now, Onesimus had escaped from his owner and traveled away. And Paul is sending him back to Colossae and to the man who had owned him, who's called Philemon. The little letter of Philemon is Paul saying to Philemon, I want you to receive him back, not now as a slave, but as a brother, because he's become a Christian. Let me just... No, I won't. I won't read all that to you. So that's a lovely thing that's happened. Do read Philemon. It's only not many verses. Now Paul says, I could command you to do this, but I'm not going to. I'm appealing to you in the grace of God. Let's read about four more of Paul's friends. My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends his view, his greet, sends, your greet, sends you greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You've already in, received instructions about him, about Mark. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. So four people are mentioned there. Aristarchus was from Thessalonica, and therefore was one of the first disciples in Europe when Paul crossed the sea from Turkey to northern Greece, Macedonia, and in Thessalonica, among the early disciples was Aristarchus. He became a traveling companion with Paul, and is mentioned three times in the book of Acts. He's also mentioned in Paul's letter to Philemon. Uh, Paul mentions Mark, Aristarchus, and Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. Then there's John Mark. Sorry, I should have done that. John Mark, who became the writer of the gospel that we have. In this gospel, in his gospel, John Sorry, Mark mentions that at the arrest of Jesus at Gethsemane, there was a young man who was there. This is what Scripture says, wearing nothing but a linen sheet wrapped around his naked body. And the people who were arresting Jesus seized him, but he f- pulled the free of the linen sheet and ran away naked. Who do you think what Mark's talking about? Many of us think he's talking about himself. He was too young to be one of the adult disciples probably at that time. And he kind of lurking around. He snuck out of bed and he wrapped something around him and... And then he ran for his life when they were arresting Jesus. In Acts 12, when Peter was released by an angel from heaven, from prison, Peter went to the house of Mary, the mother of John. That's John Mark, who's also called Mark, where they were gathering and praying. Remember, they, he was knocking on the door, and they, they went, the young woman went, opened the door, shut it again quickly. So they said, what's, what's happened? I said, I've just seen Peter's ghost outside. So they said, what do you mean? What do you mean? Come on. You know, amazing. When... Paul and Barnabas had been on their first missionary journey and they went, came back to Antioch and they went to Jerusalem and reported these things. On, when they went back to Antioch, Barnabas took Mark with him to Antioch and Mark joined Paul and Barnabas on their second missionary journey. But reading Acts 15, that when they came to a place called Pamphylia, Mark gave up and turned back home. And on the next journey, Paul and Barnabas were about to start on the third one. Paul, uh, Barnabas wanted to take Mark again, give him another chance, but Paul didn't want to. 
Scripture says their disagreement was so sharp that they parted company. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, which is where Barnabas is from. But Paul chose Silas, who was a prophet, and left after being entrusted by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. But later, Paul is reconciled to Mark. So he writes in Philemon and in Colossians that Mark is with him. And in 2 Timothy 4, the last letter Paul wrote, he says, only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he's useful to me in the ministry. Later still, Mark became attached to Peter, who calls him in his letter, his son. And the Gospel of Mark is as much Peter's account as Mark's, really. Peter's, Mark's relating what Peter told him. Then, of course, there's Barnabas is mentioned. Barnabas was not actually his name, it was his nickname. He's mentioned in Acts 4 as Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas. They gave him a nickname. It means son of encouragement. Wouldn't you like to have some Barnabases around? People are always encouraging you. That was what he was known for, and the nickname stuck. And the rest of the New Testament, we only know him as that name, Barnabas. In Acts 9, we read that when the apostles at Jerusalem, after sent Paul away from Jerusalem across the Mediterranean, back to his home in Tarsus, because there was trouble in Jerusalem, and Paul was no little cause of it, because he was such a marked man, being, having been one of the leaders of the Jews and the Pharisees and the, 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 the Sanhedrin, and now he's a great proponent of Jesus, they had to send him away. But later on, when Paul, when Barnabas had been to Antioch and seen the grace of God there, he, he was there for a while and more were added, but then he left and went either across the Mediterranean boat or walked around the outside across Turkey to Tarsus, got Paul, brought him back and put him into the leadership team at Antioch. We have a lot to thank Barnabas for, don't we? The church was different at Antioch than the one in Jerusalem. It was multi-ethnic. There was one congregation, Jews and Gentiles, but the Gentiles were from different people as well. In not many months after Barnabas, Paul has joined Barnabas at Antioch, we read this, Acts 13.1. Now in the church at Antioch there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaean who had been brought up with Herod and the Tetrarch and Saul. Simeon called Niger almost certainly refers to a man of color. And Lucius was also from Cyrene, which is a city in North Africa at that time. They were African men in the leadership team of Antioch. In that chapter 13 of Acts, we read how Barnabas and Saul were commissioned by a prophetic word to go out into the Gentile world with the gospel. And if you want to know that story, you go to the book of Acts and read from chapter 13. And then fourth one here, there's a man called Jesus, which is Joshua. And uh, the Hebrew way of pronouncing that is Yeshua, who's there too. So Jesus was not a unique word even to this day. There's a lot of people in Latin countries, that's to say... Portuguese, Spanish-speaking countries where boys are called Jesus. Okay, Just have to live with that. It's not a unique name. But there are at least three people called Justice in the New Testament. Two in Acts and one here. Hastings Bible Dictionary tells us that Justice was a Greek name often adopted by Hebrew people. They called themselves a just one. It means just or upright. But since those mentioned in Scripture are Christian believers, there's a reason why they would call themselves just, because they had been justified by grace through faith in Jesus. So they, you know, they, they, they were celebrating the fact that they were forgiven and received and accepted and adopted by God through faith in Jesus. So they're called, they call themselves justice. 
Those, Paul says, were the only Jews among Paul's co-workers. Everyone else was a Gentile. These are the only Jews among my fellow workers of the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Paul, wherever he went, had a repeatedly hard time from Jewish authorities as he traveled across the Roman world. They never gave up pursuing him, trying to trap him, trying to defeat him. Then there's Epaphras. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. He's always wrestling in prayer for you. Now, Epaphras was the man who left from probably Ephesus, went to Colossae and planted a church. And he was the founding pastor of the church in Colossae. And he's now with Paul. He's received a report. Paul's received a report from Epaphras about the church there. And Paul is going to send him back there. But he says this. He's always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand mature and fully assured in the full will of God. For I test about him that he goes to great pains. He, he works hard in prayer for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. What a man. He's planted a church. He's on a break, but he's not on a holiday. Every day he's working hard in prayer, wrestling in prayer for them, that they be made mature. Paul, you can read the kind of prayers Paul prayed for people in Ephesians and so on. Epaphras was praying like that. Maybe he learned to pray like that from Paul. Then there's Luke and Demas. Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas send you greetings. Luke shared most of Paul's journeys. He joins in the book of Acts and, and suddenly becomes, instead of Barnabas and Paul did this and so on, it, it's we did this. Luke is right there with him. He's the writer of Gospel and Acts, and Paul may have needed Luke's doctoring at times. His body was scarred and crippled by the many severe beatings received in his sufferings for Jesus' name. Luke's two books, the book of Luke and the book of Acts, are really two, two part, you know, volume one and volume two. And some of us think that they were a sort of legal document presented to Paul's defense in court in Rome. There was perhaps a, a lawyer called Theophilus, meaning lover of God, because Acts 2 says, the former book, Theophilus, I sent to you, and now there's volume two coming, right? So maybe Theophilus was Paul's lawyer, but he was nicknamed Lover of God. They kept his real name out of there. And you can start, see that at the book, start of the book of Acts. It seems that Luke stayed with Paul right through to his final imprisonment and then execution in Rome. And then there's Demas. Demas is a co-worker with Paul, also mentioned in Philemon. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. But there's one other mention of Demas, which I need to take you to, in what was almost certainly Paul's last ever written letter. Paul writes to Timothy, make every effort to come to me quickly, because Demas, in his love of this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Crescens had gone, but... He hadn't deserted. Titus had gone, but hadn't deserted. But Luke, Demas, had deserted. A man who sat with Paul in his prison, prayed in those prison prayer meetings, receives a noble mention in two of Peter's letters, Paul's letters, is later described as having gone away, choosing to love this present world. 
Others have gone from Paul on mission to the churches, but Demas hasn't gone on mission. He's given up. He's chosen comfort over suffering. He's walked away. And that was probably a long time coming because very few of us do things on the spur of the moment. It's been thinking, thinking, bubbling, bubbling. Thoughts and attitudes for, for a long while before a choice is made and action taken. And Paul simply says of him that he, in his love of this world. Friends, can I remind you what John says in his letter? Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires, appetites of the flesh, of human physical nature and heart nature and so on, the desires of the eyes you want, you see, you covet, the pride of life, being I'm, I've got something you haven't got and I'm somebody that you're not, and pride and boasting is not from the Father but from the world. The world is passing away along with its desires but whoever does the will of God remains forever. Further on in Colossians 4 we read that Archippus was challenged to keep going but Demas didn't give, keep going. He gave up. Mark found the going hard and dropped out but later was returned to the mission team. Paul was reconciled to him. Whether Demas changed his mind again, we simply don't know. But scripture leaves him there. And what an epitaph to have in Thessalonica, having chosen this world over serving Jesus. Now there's one lady mentioned in here, Nympha. Greet the brothers in Laodicea, as well as Nympha and the church that meets at her house. Christians who had larger homes hosted church gatherings. Paul in his letters greets such hosts and a number of them were female and the church or congregation that gathered in their home. Some people want to suggest that that made that lady the, an elder or overseer. That is a jump. Uh, that, that is not proven. Nympha hosted the church as po- or part of the church at Laodicea. Other female hosts are mentioned in the New Testament. Lydia at Philippi. Apphia at Colossae. It seems that Apphia was the wife of Philemon to whom Paul writes the letter. More on that in a few moments about Aphia and her husband. Or, and then there's Prisca or Priscilla. Prisca is just short for Priscilla and Aquila, a couple who are mentioned three times, Romans, Corinthians, 2 Timothy. They may have moved home on at least one occasion to serve in the wider team of Paul and his co-workers. And in Romans, Paul writes that they risked their lives for him. Did you get that? He could have said they risked their lives for the Lord, but he's made it a personal statement. They risked their lives for me. What friendship that is. What brotherhood, what sisterhood, what companionship, what comradeship. They risked their lives for him. And all the Gentile churches had reason to be grateful to them. They had an open home to Paul and his traveling companions. And they nourished them. When a young traveling preacher called Apollos, he was a good preacher, but he hadn't, got it, he hadn't got it all connected up yet. He came to the church. He came to their house. They said, what you've got is good, but we, you need to figure, we need to add the rest to you. And they taught him all that they'd learned from Paul. So Apollos came out of that better equipped to be a preaching church founding worker in that time. Paul honors women in their roles and greets women as his sisters and friends. Yet this is the same Paul who 
gives instructions about gender-specific roles in the family and in the church. For people to say that Paul was a woman-hater, no, absolutely not. He had dear sisters, sisters who were his friends. Then Paul mentions the letter from or through Laodicea. After this letter's been read among you, make sure that it's also read in the church of the Laodiceans and you in turn read the letter from the Laodiceans. Now we think that's the letter which is called Ephesians because Ephesians is actually addressed to any one church. It's a general letter to a group of churches in what is now Turkey. And here it says, when this letter has been read to you. Now that reading to you is read aloud. For first century people read aloud and prayed aloud. So at a meeting of the disciples, someone read a letter or a psalm or other scripture to those gathered, and then some prayed aloud. It was the same practice in the synagogue. The script, Jesus went to the synagogue on the Sabbath, opened the roll of Isaiah, and read aloud. And then they, he stood, and they, they waited for him to explain it to them, and he said, this scripture has just been fulfilled in your hearing, because I'm here. The book of Revelation has at the start of it, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear and obey. So there are some who are reading aloud and those who are hearing. Which is why I say again to you, there's no, there's no disgrace at all in you using a good Bible app and listening to God's word. If you're not a great reader, you don't enjoy reading, listen. Okay? Because there's value in listening to God's word. Read the scriptures, speak the scriptures, also use a good Bible app. Ear and mouth matter. What we hear, what we then say mattered. That's why we should put good thoughts into speech and action and reject thoughts that are unworthy or lead us to dishonor or disobey Jesus. Your mind is like a... We were talking about this on Thursday night, freedom in Christ. Your mind is like a, like, like an air, like a airport. Like an airport. All sorts of things come buzzing in, but you can tell them buzz off. And focus on what is good and wholesome and healthy and honouring to Jesus. Okay. Archippus. Remember there that C-H is pronounced K like, lock, like a Scottish lock. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you've received in the Lord. Ooh. Now, here you are. Listen. This letter is being read aloud at a gathering at the church in Colisee. Maybe at one house and then in another house in the course of the evening. And in one of those places, Archippus is sitting there and he goes, What? Let's figure out who Archippus is. Philemon, verse 1. Paul writing to Philemon, one of the men at Archippus, escaped slaves being returned to him. Paul, he says, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our fellow, our beloved fellow worker, to Appia, our sister, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets at your house. doesn't take a lot of figuring out. Philemon is married to Appia. They host a church gathering in Colossae, and Archippus is their son. Okay? So Archippus is a younger man. Paul honors him already as a fellow soldier, but Paul's message to him is complete the work that you've been given. Finish the job, man, is one translation that has it. Men, when many Christians read the word ministry in the Bible, they only think of being a church pastor, but the word has a much wider meaning. It means service. We don't know what uh, Archippus was given as a way of serving the Lord, 
But Paul is saying to him, don't quit on it. Don't give it. Now, maybe Paul was seeing something happening in Demas by then. But anyway, he, he spotted this young man. He's at the beginning of things. He's just starting out in serving the Lord Jesus. And he says, don't give up, man. Don't give up, boy. We don't know what that was. But at one point in history, AD 60s, this young man's sitting in a church meeting and he hears his name. And he gets a little bit of a rebuke, a little bit of a challenge. Don't quit. Keep going. There may have been many years ahead of Archippus, but he needs to set his focus on running the whole race, as Paul writes about himself, and finishing, gaining the finishing line well. It's not finished till you're finished, and the Lord says stop. All right? Now, what about this? Write your name here. Who are you? What are you? What has God given you? In the great mission of God to bring all things and all peoples, to honor his son through the gospel, what, what part do you play? It doesn't have to be church-based. It doesn't have to be serving on a Sunday. What part in this mission of God do you gladly give yourself to? We're not all apostles, preachers or teachers. We're not all worship leaders, singers or musicians. We may not all have a Sunday meeting role. These friends of Paul did not all have a public ministry, as we think. But they prayed and supported and hosted meetings and practiced hospitality and gave financially and encouraged and supported those who were called to lead, to pioneer, or to pastor. Some, like Epaphras, planted new churches, just went and did it, took a risk. God was with them. But others who didn't do that were no less fellow workers, fellow soldiers, fellow servants of Christ, beloved brothers, beloved sisters. They were part of Paul's mission team part of his network of friends, brothers and sisters of the Lord, one wide interconnected family. What mission are you on? What is your part in the cause of the gospel through his church? What role can you play? What gets you out of bed in the morning, gets you up and gets started? What, what ambition, what goal fires you, fuels you through your day? For Paul, it was the gospel. It was the mission of God. Now, at the end of this morning, we're going to be receiving another family into partnership with us as Lighthouse. just want to read to you, remind you what we say in our partnership commitment, not for their sake. They've read that and they're, they're happy with it. Three, there are four things with subheadings. I will protect the unity of my church by acting in love towards other members, supporting and serving, by building one another up and refusing to gossip, by following the leaders. Number two, I will share the responsibility of my church by praying for its growth, by inviting others to attend, by warming, welcoming those who visit. Three, I'll serve the ministry of my church by being equipped to serve by the leadership of the church, by discovering and using my gifts and abilities, and by developing a servant's heart. Number four, I will support the testimony of my church by attending regularly, by living a godly life, and by giving faithfully in tithes and offerings. Paul's friends lived for the Lord, lived for the Lord's cause, his mission, and lived for one another. They were a band of friends, a band of brothers and sisters bound together as partners in God's mission. Then Paul signs off his letter. 
This greeting is in my own hand. He reaches over, takes the quill, and writes, Paul, remember my chains. Grace be with you. Remember my chains. Paul never asked for prayer to be delivered from prison or to be rescued from suffering. He knew from the very start of being a disciple of Jesus that these things awaited him, for the Lord had shown him what great things he would suffer for his name's sake. But he asks to be remembered and not forgotten. He's a soldier for Christ who is now locked up, yet he still fights the good fight of faith by praying and writing and talking with his friends. Grace be with you. Amen. You know that I like to write grace be with you on things, don't I? Grace be with us all as we offer ourselves wholly to God, which is our reasonable service, and choose not to be conformed to this world and not to love this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds so that we test and approve and do the good and pleasing and perfect will of God, his mission for his glory and his reward. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that Paul had such a wide network of friends who served with him and he didn't regard himself as being greater and them as being lesser. They were his brothers, they were his sisters, they were his fellow workers, fellow slaves of Christ. Different in role, different in capacity, different in ability, but equal in their love for you and their care for one another. We thank you for such a testimony to us of what church can be. And in a sense, they, they, they were one body, even though they were scattered in all sorts of places. They communicated and still cared for one another. Thank you for these lessons, Lord. We pray that we may be like a, a, a Luke who carries on through to the end, who's faithful. Some of us have been like a Mark. There have been moments when we quit, but we can pick up again. Your grace will permit us and encourage us to do that. Let none of us be a demon, a Demas, rather, who just quits and gives up and walks away from your mission and your cause and your church. Thank you, Father. Let me just give this reminder again. If you're not yet a Christian, you've never surrendered your life to the Lord Jesus, please take a moment now. Just bow your head and say, Lord Jesus, I give myself into your hands. Without reserve, without holding anything back, please reshape my life from today. He'll hear that prayer. Amen. Amen.